Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. And Malik and her sister Isik were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarai was enabled to become pregnant and had no children. One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter and son-in-law, well, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. We pick up in chapter 12. This is where it gets interesting. I mean, genealogies are interesting and all, but this is where we get what we're looking at today, starting in chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed, and verse 4 says, So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Sechem. There he set up a camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, this area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord, who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. Let's pray. God, we pray that this scripture would be made clear to us as we read names that are unfamiliar and things that can seem confusing. Lord, we pray that we get to see the big pictures. God, this promise here is for us today. It is crucial and important. God, would you help us understand it? Would you equip us with your word this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read a bunch of names and places, I have three questions that I just want us to answer today that I think will help us understand what's even happening here. So the, first, the, first, or the three questions are, who is Abram or Abraham, like I said? What did Abraham do? And then why is Abraham even important? Basically, why should I care? So the first question, who is Abraham? Simply, as we read, and if you, if you like snuck a peek a few verses before, we see that he is a descendant of Shem, the son of Noah, one of his sons. And then later we see in the next genealogy, he's the son of Terah. And you're like, well, who even is this person? Well, if you look in Numbers, we get some more information about his family. The book of Numbers tells us that Terah, Abraham's father, was involved in the production of idols. Abraham's family was therefore deeply tied 
with, to the religious systems of Mesopotamia. No doubt Abraham's wealth was directly the result of his, or at least his father's, profiteering from paganism. So that's a little picture of what his family was even doing, and they're like pretty wealthy, and that's where they get it from. So we know he's the son of this guy who produced idols. Most likely Abraham produced idols in his family as well. We learn as we read that he's the uncle of Lot. And if you know more of the story, Lot comes into play more. But we're just given a description of his family. He, he, his nephew is Lot. He's the husband of Sarai. And it makes a clear distinction here that we know. It says, who is unable to become pregnant? Um, and she has no children, marking a very crucial event to come. God's promise to make him a father in many nations. But right here, the author starts and says, hey, just so you know, Sarai can't have kids. He's from Ur of the Chaldeans, which we know as Babylon. And if you're looking at a map, it's modern day like Iraq and that area. His father moved him, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and headed for Canaan, which is what we know as like the land of Israel. But he settled in Haran, which on a map we can look and see is pretty close to southeastern Turkey. I have a map for us to look at here in a second, and you'll get kind of a clear picture of it. Um, but he settled there, and it's this picture of them moving from east to the west, from the land of Babylon towards Cana, which will eventually, Canaan, which will eventually be the promised land that we read in Scripture. And time and time again, we see in Scripture kind of this movement of people that are rebelling from the Lord and moving east, and then the Lord brings them back west. And it's this reflective image that is used often throughout Genesis. I want us to see that Abraham wasn't this amazing or special person. The only thing that makes this story or makes Abraham special is God. And how God used Abraham and his family. He was a normal guy whose family was involved in making and probably worshiping idols. And God, and God called him and used him. Abraham simply said yes when the Lord called and to get a little picture, throw up the image of the map if we, if we have it. We got it there. So this gives you a little picture of like his traveling distance. Like he started all the way over here at the right. And uh, his father, he traveled with him all the way up towards Turkey. And then kind of moved back down towards Israel. And you're like, oh, why wouldn't they just take the shortcut? Because um, you'll probably die. That's just desert. Like there's no water throughout there. So they follow this route along the rivers there and they end up different places that they can like camp and live for a while. But it's not the shortest distance. Like it looks pretty close on a map, but um, I don't think I could even walk like from two of those cities, um, especially in that desert heat. So that's what Abraham did. He went from all the way over here up was there with his father, his father died, and then went down, not into Egypt, but he stopped over here where we know as Israel, Lebanon, that area. So that is who Abraham is. What did Abraham even do? We can look in verse 4, simply it says, Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. Some people debate, there's always debate when it comes to scripture, some people debate when the Lord said this. Did he say it before he moved with his father and Abraham disobeyed and stayed there and didn't actually go when the Lord called him? We don't have a clear enough picture. You can maybe debate that with people in your spare time. But what we know, 
What matters in this story is God called him to move. He called him to move from his homeland to a land that was not his. And he and Abraham simply did as the Lord asked. He went from his home to Canaan and set up camp, as we read in scripture, in a place called Sechem. Beside an oak tree, very interesting that I would just say, oh, beside the oak of Mora. That's not a coincidence, like oak trees marked significant places, especially in pagan tradition. Um, it's a significant landmark in the region, most likely. Um, oak trees were very, very important in the culture there, um, especially in religious tradition. And there weren't many oak trees left in that area anymore. Something happened and they were used for something maybe, or they were cut down, but there weren't many left. And this was one of them. Um, and they would usually worship their gods near the oak trees, or they would teach about their gods from the oak trees. Um, and I think it's very significant that Abraham builds an altar here next to a place that was used to worship false gods. And verse seven, it says, he built an altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And I love this picture signifying that this land will no longer be a land of people who worship false gods, but instead a land of the people of the one true God, who God will eventually establish through Abraham and his family here. And we continue in verse eight, and he travels south, sets up camp with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east, and he builds another altar, dedicating it to the Lord. And it says, and he worships. It's the same picture again. The land that once worshiped false gods will now be the land of God's people. And from this land, God will bring a blessing for all people. Stay tuned for that. We're going to get into that. And it says, and then Abraham continued traveling south. And I think it gives us this picture of Abraham just didn't get to the tip of the land and be like, okay, well, I came to where God want me and I'm supposed to be here. No, it's this image of Abraham traveling throughout the entire land, marking it and saying, this is what God has promised me. This is his land. I will worship him here. I will set up altars here and people will worship the Lord throughout the whole land, not just one part. And the land God has called him. So as we read the scripture, that's basically what Abraham did. He said, yes, went, did as the Lord commanded, and is making the land home. And we see here that Abraham's life is marked by faith and worship. Faith in the Lord and his promises, taking him from his own home, where he has family, a job, maybe a nice house, where life was probably easy and comfortable. And he journeyed through the desert forever, moving to a foreign land hundreds of miles away through foreign, maybe hostile empires and to a land that is ruled by another nation. And he says, no, one man, you're going to go in there and I'm going to make it yours. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty scary. I'm not just going to move to like a country and be like, this is mine now. Um, I own it and you will give it to me. Um, that's pretty terrifying. And also you're like, what? But Abraham says, all right, this is what God calls me to. It's hard enough for me to move neighborhoods. You know, I love my neighborhood now. And you're like, oh, my grocery store is right down the street. There's a nice, nice restaurants. I like the park by my house. There's Squirrel Park in our neighborhood. It's got lots of squirrels. Apparently that's what it's named to the, the, the Copelands. Um, and they're right. There are lots of squirrels there. Um, 
it's hard for us to leave what's comfortable in that sense for us and just like simply be like, oh, I'm going to move to Verdun or St. Henri away from my neighborhood. And Abraham literally hears the Lord call him to a whole nother land that's ruled by a whole nother people. And he says, I'm going to make this yours. He called Abraham out of his comfort and into something that outside of God sounds incredibly terrifying. And Abraham just says, yes. He's like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. Abraham's faith here was greater than his fear of anything that could happen, which so many things could happen. He chose faith over fear. And we'll continue to read throughout the series. Abraham's not perfect in this. You like to have this picture at the start and be like, man, every, every one of Abraham's decisions, he chooses faith over fear. You'll, you'll see next week that's not the case. But in this moment, when God calls him, he says, yes, I will go. He chose faith over fear. And in this journey of faith, he continually worships God. Because church, our faith must lead to worship. We can't just people who say, yeah, his promises are good. They remain true. And sing those songs and not truly worship it. If we've experienced it, as Abraham experienced the faithfulness of making that journey and getting there and setting up altars and worshiping and saying, God, you are the God. You are the promise keeper. Our faith must lead to worship. Abraham had a faith Abraham had faith that God would keep his promise and he worshiped him. A life marked by faith over fear and a life marked by continual worship, no matter where God took him. So those are our first two questions. Who is he? What did he even do? Now, why should I even care? Why is Abraham important? Why does this story matter? Why is it one of the most important stories in scripture? This is why. As we read the Lord said this, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. Here's where we get to the Lord's promise. This is why Abraham is so important, because of God's promise. And we look in verse 2 of chapter 12. God says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. Or I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families, this is the big one. All families on earth will be blessed through you. Which lucky us, we don't just have this one book of the Bible. That's not all we're reading. And for some of us in the room, we've maybe read it all and we can stand back and see this promise fulfilled. We know that this promise, this blessing to come that the whole world will receive is Jesus. It's this beautiful picture that from the beginning, God created us in his image to reflect him and walk with him. And us being who we are chose separation. We wanted to make our own rules and we wanted to do what we want and we choose that every day. Sin entered the world and now there was this huge separation between us and God. But the almighty Lord, he didn't stop there. He wasn't like, all right, good riddance, whatever. You don't want me, get lost. Praise the Lord he didn't. He had a plan and that plan from the beginning was Jesus Christ. 
From the very start, from Genesis, the beginnings, God slowly reveals this plan to his people immediately from the fall. Immediately when man sins and falls and has to leave the garden, he looks and he says in Genesis 3.15, he says, for, he's saying the seed will strike your head, or you, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel, foreshadowing the coming of Jesus as soon as man fell. And officially here in Genesis 12, through one man and his family, God marks his promise. The promise of salvation, hope, the one that will bless the whole world, who can bring us back to the original design to be with him. And God slowly, slowly like painting this picture. We've used this metaphor before of those pictures. The person does it upside down and you're like, what is this? can't even tell what they're painting. This is ridiculous. It's nothing. And then you're like, oh, wait, I can kind of see something. And then like all of a sudden the music swells and they flip it over and you're like, it's a boat. That's amazing. That's what he's doing. As we read scripture, we see from the beginnings, we're like, man, this painting looks messed up because someone has just thrown something on it. And I don't know what we're doing, but we're walking away from what seemed to be his plan. And God says, no, 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 watch this. Watch this brushstroke. Watch this one. And the music swells. And then here we get a big outline of what God's to do. And then when Jesus comes, he flips the painting over and he says, look, this was the plan. And in Galatians 3, 8 and 9, it helps us connect it even more. It says this, what's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right. That's you and, and myself in the room. Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said this, all nations will be blessed through you. We just read that. And in verse 9, he says, So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. That's why this is important, church. What a beautiful story that all points to the coming and redemption of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? God is good and faithful even when we're not. This was his plan from the start and he was pointing to it from Genesis. Jesus is the blessing and he is for all people. As we read here, he said, and you will be a blessing for all families. He chose to bring his blessing to the world through an ordinary man named Abraham. Abraham was called out and blessed by God to be a blessing for all people. And he just simply said yes. It wasn't this, oh, he was the perfect man and he was living so right before. Like, honestly, Abraham's life could have been a complete mess before. We don't know anything except God said, I'm calling you and I will bless the world through you. And Abraham said, okay. And he went. Church, we don't have to be anything else except people who say yes to his calling. And as we close and think about the scripture we read, and I want us to think and process over what we just heard for a few minutes. I don't want us to walk out of here unchanged by God's word. Because it's important for us. It's important for us to learn this story of Abraham and his faith and why that matters to us. Maybe you're in the room and Genesis 1 through 11 really stuck with you. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, 
I feel like this constant downward spiral. And it feels like every day I'm just taking another step down this twirling, winding path of hurt, defining what's right and wrong for myself, feeling empty and dead at the end of it every time, wondering if there's any hope. Is this it? Is this what the world is supposed to be? I want to encourage you, if that's you in this room, this scripture points and tells us that we do not have to stay there. Genesis 1 through 11 might be telling that story, but it doesn't end there. As we read in Genesis 12, God made a promise through Abraham to bless the world, to redeem it and bring it back to its original design. Jesus is that blessing church promised through Abraham. He came, lived a sinless life, died in our place, rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And Jesus can redeem you. He can save you and me from this constant downward spiral of death and self. To be united, as scripture says, to be united with Christ and the Father. He says his last prayer for us was that they would be one as you and I are one. Church, did I hear that right? To be one, like Jesus says, I pray that they are one as myself, the son of God is one with God. That's what Jesus prayed for us. And then he finishes that prayer. He goes, I just hope that through this, they can see that you love them as much as you love me. I read that this morning, church. And that just, I just sat there this morning and read that word. And John, as he voices this prayer, and he's like, I just pray that through all this, they can see that you love them as much as you love me. And I was like, God, I don't think I'm to the place where I can fully say, yeah, that's, I believe that. Because he's talking about us understanding that God loves him as much as he loves his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Who often I'm like, yeah, God should love him because he lived this perfect life. It was sinless and he did all these things. And it's like, yeah, God, he, he got his love. And it's like me, I'm nowhere close to that. And Jesus' last prayer, he said, I just pray that they would know that you love them as much as you love me. This promise was given to Abraham and has come to us now to a people who were unworthy. I didn't live it right. I didn't do everything perfect. But guess what? He still loves me as much as he loves his son. And he still loves you as much as he loves his son. And this promise of restoration and being brought back and out of this downward spiral is for you this morning. He can redeem you. This promise is for you. Don't walk out of here thinking it's not. And those of you in the room who do follow Jesus, sometimes we kind of step back into that downward spiral. Sometimes we kind of actively choose to go back, yeah, I want, I want some pain. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we walk knowingly out of this promise and say, you know, I don't want to live a life marked by faith in what you have said. I kind of, I like to hurt. No, church, don't stay there. Our lives can be marked by faith or fear. Do we trust in him? Oh man, one of the most used scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know it? And you're like, yeah, I do know it. Do you believe it? Do we? Jeremiah 29, 11, for, the, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper 
and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And I'm like, yeah, I can quote that. Church, do I believe that? Because if I do, my life would be so evidently marked with faith every day that nothing could get under my skin. Nothing can bring me to this place of like, oh, I'm just so dis- I'm in despair and hurt and pain. And is there any hope? And is he going to provide? Am I going to make it another week? Is this going to happen? No, if our lives are marked with that promise of Jesus to come and him knowing the plans I have, my life can be easily marked by faith. And also I was pressed with this question this week as, as someone who has given their life to Jesus as I read Abraham, I was, God said, are you willing to be taken out of the comfort that, I, that you're in now if I call you there? Am I, be, am I willing to be taken up from something that is comfortable and something that's a routine or whatever it be that feels good? And the Lord says, no, I've, I'm shaking that up a bit. I'm bringing you here. It's going to be crazy, but you've got a new job. Or it's going to be crazy, you're going to stick in this job and you don't like it. Maybe you're going to move. Maybe it's just to, an, maybe it's just to another neighborhood. Maybe, maybe it's St. Henri. I don't know. That's out of our comfort. Am I willing, am I okay in those moments that when those changes happen, am I okay and just say, yes, Lord, for I know that you know the plans you have for me. They're plans for prospering. I'm like, all right. This is, this is where the Lord has me. Am I willing to be taken out of my comfort if he calls me there? Do I fight his direction? Do I worship him no matter where he takes me like Abraham? Do I walk through a city like Montreal that is full of pagan altars and shrines and sin and idolatry? And do I set up places to worship the Lord? Do I start my day? Is it marked by worship and faith in him that leads me to walk in faith in my job and at home and it's reflected in worship? Because it can be through the promise of Jesus Christ, church. We don't have to do it on our own. Be encouraged that we don't have to stay in the downward spiral, that I don't have to be there, that Jesus is the promise made here, and he can redeem me. He is promise keeper, church. Jeremiah 29, 11 is true. It's not just a good thing to quote when your friends are feeling down. His plans for us are good. We can trust fully in him, and we can live lives of faith over fear. Because church, the blessing has come. And his name is Jesus Christ. And that's why we're going to go back to worshiping through song. And we can, we can sing with our arms open and praise and worship him. Our lives can be marked by worship this morning because he is promise keeper. He is where we failed. And the Lord sent him to redeem us, church. What was true for Abraham and his family can be true for you this morning. You can choose to follow Jesus and be marked by that blessing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth in Genesis, the beginnings, that from the start, from our mess up, from our disobedience, that you were painting the picture of Jesus Christ. 
our redemption. God, thank you for the faithfulness of Abraham and his family that said yes to your calling and that you brought Jesus from them. God, I pray that our lives would be marked by faith, faith in a God who is promise keeper because I've been given the only blessing I ever need and it's Jesus Christ. I can stand firm no matter what. God, would we be a church marked by faith that leads to lives of worship. God, write this word in our hearts. Let us wrestle with it this morning. God, would we confess areas in our lives where we don't release that hold, that control to you. And would we be willing to go out of our comfort zone because you've called us there. God, continue to teach this word to us this morning. God, we worship you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.